to honor your word in thought and in practice. And as we leave this place, Lord Jesus, supernaturally bear fruit out of us from your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Pastor Jason, musicians with beautiful singing. Thank you, uh, Brother Jim York, for those beautiful words from the psalm this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 16. We're going through the Gospel of John verse by verse, and we're calling it not only the Gospel of John, which is not too creative, but we're calling it also a journey of faith. We're on a journey through this book, and the book promises itself that we'll gain faith, and our faith will increase if we'll learn it and, uh, and love it and live it. Uh, so we have that great promise. We come to chapter 16. Uh, we're still in that upper room discourse, the preaching that Jesus did to, and teaching to his disciples before he goes to the cross on the next morning. So this is the evening before. It's called the Upper Room Discourse because that's where it begins. But they leave the room, if you remember, at the end of chapter 14. And now they're traveling. They're walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And he teaches these chapters on the way. And uh, so we, we pick it up now. We're going to start in verse 7 in a moment. That's where we left off. But I want to jump a little bit ahead to take for our verse to read this morning, verse 20. Uh, it, Jesus speaking says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you shall weep and lament, that is, you shall grieve, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for this special weekend where we remember those who gave the ultimate price so we could preach and teach and assemble in freedom today. We thank you for, for them. And then, Lord, we pray you'd speak to us now through your word. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, during this year of covid You've heard a lot of stories about people who were separated for a period of time and then came back together and the joy that gave them. Um, and uh, those stories are remarkable. I came across one that I thought was worth sharing with you. and A Matthew uh, Khalil. He lived in Cape Town, Africa, uh, Africa South Africa. And he was in the United States working in uh, Iowa when the pandemic hit. So he was homebound or hotel-bound for a period of time. And uh, his wife, Cleo, was 9,000 miles away. And so they missed each other desperately. And, uh, and in time, then, he was able to travel taking overnight flights, and finally in Johannesburg. And uh, there, coming into the country, he had to quarantine again. And eventually, he was through with that quarantine, and he started making his way from Johannesburg to Cape Town. And he tells in his story that 
he and his wife are communicating by an app, and uh, she knows where he's at and how close he's getting, and and uh, they're both that anticipation built and built until finally she could tell he was just around the corner. She comes out of the house and they see each other at a distance and run towards each other and embrace each other with tears and with great joy. You and I have seen some of those things maybe on the news. Sometimes people were in the hospital for months at a time and loved ones couldn't visit them. And so it wasn't until they were rolled out of the hospital in a wheelchair that family was waiting on them and they had great joy. This is Memorial Day weekend. So we think about, we remember, and we give thanks for those who made that ultimate sacrifice. Those that went off to war and fought for our freedom and didn't come back. We are thankful for them. But we're also thankful for all the ones who went off to war and did come back. And uh, you may have seen some old footage, World War II footage of soldiers coming home in 1945 through 1947 and, and uh, the rejoicing that took place when families saw each other for the first time in, in, in a while. And then maybe uh, e even people coming home from uh, 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 Iraq, Afghanistan. We've seen those uh, wonderful meetings. Sometimes if you watch the news, you see it online too. The, the, um, the dad will come in and maybe surprise his son or daughter at a school function. And sometimes they get so excited they're just beside themselves with crying and laughter all at the same time. It's tremendous joy. Now think about the morning of the resurrection and the ladies that got the message that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then they see him and worship him at his feet. It says they ran with fear, awesome, a feeling of awesomeness, fear and great joy. The word great is megos in the Greek. It's where we get our word mega. The Bible says those women had mega joy. Not just joy, but mega joy they had. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Now before we get to that part of it though, he speaks about the Holy Spirit prior to that. And that's where we pick up the study now, so if you go back to verse 5 even, or, uh, well, let's back up to verse 6. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. He had told them the world was going to hate them, and they would be persecuted. And, uh, but also, he told them he was leaving. In verse 5, he said, I'm going away, I'm leaving. They had left everything they owned, and uh, they had left family and occupations to follow Jesus. And now he says he's leaving. And their hearts are broken. And all of their uh, hopes are dashed. They were looking forward to a kingdom he would set up here on earth. 
But then in verse 7 he says, Nevertheless, there's the but I spoke of last week. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. It is to your advantage, he said. It is better for you. Now they're sad. But Jesus said, this is best for you that I do go away. So it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And so the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to indwell every believer. And he's going to orchestrate fellowship and communion between every believer and the Lord Jesus himself. Wherever they live in the world, whatever generation they lived in, they can commune and fellowship and walk with the Lord Jesus because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, this is a better arrangement. Jesus was in his earthly body then and here on earth in his earthly ministry. And uh, he could only be in one place at one time in that physical body. Suppose he had come up with a plan that said after the death and the resurrection, he said to Peter, Peter, I'm going to stay here in Jerusalem and, and, uh, and people will want to come see me and we have to limit that to maybe five minutes because so many people will want to see me and they have to make appointments and, and then we'll maybe take a tour around the world and meet with people. Can you imagine the lines would be miles long waiting to see Jesus for five minutes? And people all over the world would want to see Jesus for that five minutes. The disciples couldn't spend any time with him because all of his time is spent with the, with the other people uh, with, with their five-minute interviews. And, uh, and maybe if you were lucky, blessed, I should say, <laughs> You might get to see Jesus one time in your life for five minutes. Now, that would be glorious. But how much better that he is walking with us and indwelling us each and every day. I met with him this morning. And I didn't have to make an appointment or anything. I just came right into his presence because of his precious blood. So Jesus is saying, this is better. You, you don't understand it now. But this is better. I'm going to send back to the Father. I'll send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Remember that word, parakletos. It means helper, the one who comes alongside to help you in your life. Before he talks about what the Holy Spirit's going to do for us, he talks about what the Holy Spirit's going to do for the world here in verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The word reprove can be translated convict or convince. In secular Greek, it was used in, in two ways, mainly. Uh, one was in a, in a court of law, when a, someone had been convicted of a crime. Uh, and then the other way was a more general sense, when someone was convinced that something was true. The Holy Spirit is not in the business of of judging, but he is in the business of convincing people that the gospel is true. 
Dr. Ryrie put it like this. Reprove means to set forth the truth of the gospel in such a clear light that men are able to accept or reject it, that is the gospel, intelligently, end of quote. So he's come to convict the world. Now remember, you and I, all of this ties together, you know. We're, take, we're taking it a week at a time, but all of it ties together. Just, a, just less than a minute ago in the, in the context, Jesus had said, the Holy Spirit's going to bear witness of me, and you're going to bear witness of me too. You're going to bear your testimony, and the Holy Spirit will bear his testimony. So when the world sees us in the way we live, or hears us share the love of Christ in the gospel message, the Holy Spirit uses that to convict in these three areas, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then Jesus elaborates on that. Look at verse 9. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Um, he convicts of sin. Now, some people have made a uh, some important, I would say, assumptions about this word sin instead of being singular, instead of being plural, sins. And so their thoughts go like this, and their thoughts are not wrong, but I don't think that's the application here. But anyway, their thoughts go like this because he uses it, the singular term sin, he's He's referring to one sin only, and that is the sin of unbelief, the sin of not receiving Christ as Savior. And then many good things could be said about that, like, for instance, Jesus will forgive every sin except one, and that one sin he won't forgive is the sin of rejecting him. And uh, so there are many applications to that. But I don't think that's exactly what's being said here. I think it's sin singular because it refers to sin as a, as a thing. When I got saved, I was under great conviction. And I felt so dirty and sinful. But I didn't remember every sin that I had committed. It wasn't because of sins. I remember I did this when I was 10 and I did that when I was 8 and... And I did a whole bunch when I was 13. But anyway, it wasn't that. It was sin as a principle. It was, the, it was sin itself. I knew I was guilty of sin. And uh, I think the word is used in the collective sense. And that's the reason it's singular. Sin. And then, because they believe not on me means they're still in their sin. You remember what Jesus said to the religious crowd that was listening to him? He said, uh, uh, you, uh, if you go on like this, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. And so he will convict the world of sin because they haven't believed on Christ. They don't have forgiveness, so they're still guilty of that sin. And then he says... Uh, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Jesus lived a perfect life, sinless life. And if we had lived in that day, we could have seen him and observed him and listened to him preach. And that would have been the perfect example of righteousness. But he's no longer with us now in a physical sense, so the Holy Spirit pushes that point. He convicts people of of the righteousness of Christ, of his perfection, of who he is and what 
he did and how he brings righteousness through uh, his sacrifice. Verse 11 says, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. That's Satan, of course. Satan's already been judged. He's already been sentenced. And it's recorded for us what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. He's going to be cast into a lake of fire and he will be there forever and forever and forever. And so the Holy Spirit warns people that judgment is real. Satan may appear to be getting by with sin right now, and you may be, appear to be getting by with sin, but there's coming a reckoning day, and so he convict, convicts of righteousness. Now back up just a little bit. In verse 8, he will convict or reprove the world. Remember the, remember the world is lost humanity. They're in opposition to God and his word. So he's convicting the world of these things. Now, I'm going to ask you, I'm, we're going to take a survey. When you got saved, try to remember back when you got saved. It may have been 30, 40, 50 years ago. Just try to remember. And some of you may have been so young you can't remember, and that's, that's fine. I was uh, 17, and so that was 51 years ago. So, but I can remember it a little bit. And uh, this is the question I'm going to ask you. Were you thinking more when you got saved, when you saw the need to get saved, were you thinking more about your sin? Or were you thinking more about the Lord Jesus himself, his righteousness, the beauty of Christ, and what he did, how he loves you? Or was you thinking more about judgment? Now, all three of the, the Holy Spirit's working on all three of these. And, and whichever way you answer, there's no right, there's no wrong. Usually it's fairly even when I've asked this question in the past. So that's the question to you. So everybody who you think, you, you were more aware of and thinking more about your sin than anything else when you got saved, raise your hand. Let's see how many of that. Man, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, that's a pretty good number. How many were thinking about Christ and his beauty and what he did for us? Raise your hand. Yeah, it's pretty close to the same number. And then how many of you were thinking about judgment? A judgment to come. Raise your hand. Well, as you can see, that's a pretty even, again, pretty even number all the way across. The Holy Spirit convicting of sin and righteousness and of judgment. That's what he does for the world. Now he's going to talk about what he does for us. Jesus said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. The word bear here does not mean you can't tolerate them. We might use the word like that. But the word bear is... The word, it's even used of Jesus bearing his cross. Same Greek word, carrying his cross. It's the idea of being able to carry something. Jesus says, I have a lot of things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You cannot carry them now. They're too heavy for you. Where you are in your Christian life, he's talking to the disciples, where you are in your Christian life, you can't bear it now. Jesus is a wise teacher and a wise sovereign. He knows that we can't 
bear everything at one time. Suppose somebody was offered a tremendous amount of gold, but they couldn't carry it. What Jesus has to teach us is gold. I mean, it's more precious than, than uh, any stones. But we can't carry it all at one time. His disciples couldn't bear it, and neither can you and I. Our Jesus teaching us the revelation of who he is and what he wants to do in us and all the word of God comes in bits and pieces. When we can bear it, he will reveal the gold to us. And so, that makes it important that you read, get in your Bible and read your Bible every day. You might say, well, I've already read so-and-so. Well, uh, read it again because a month ago you may not have been ready or able to bear what he wanted to teach you. So he's always teaching us. Be sure you keep coming to preaching. I've heard people say, by the way, I had one man tell me one time in a counseling session, I said something about reading the Word uh, on a daily basis, and he didn't think that was necessary because he said, regarding the New Testament, he said, I've read it. And I said, well, yeah, but you could read it again. Well, I've already read it. There's no use in reading it again. I read it. So apparently he felt like he had, you know, he knew everything there was to know about the New Testament. But as we move forward in our Christian faith, Jesus teaches us new things. So he said, I've got a lot of things to say to you. He would say that to us. He's still got a lot of things to teach us. But we can't bear all of it at one time. We get it a little bit at a time. So keep reading, keep studying, keep coming, listen to the preaching, even though you might say, well, preaching, you know, a lot, a lot of times preachers say the same things over and over again, and sometimes we're guilty of that. But you may be ready to hear it at a later date, at a different time. Well, so he says, you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he shall guide you into all truth. Now the word guide means to lead us along a path. It, Im it implies a journey. So we're on a journey now. The Holy Spirit's teaching us the things that the Lord wants us to understand and know. He's guiding us, and we're on a journey of learning, a journey of truth. And then uh, he will guide you in all truth, and he shall not speak of himself. That is, he, he shall not speak of him or, uh, from himself alone. He's in connection with the Father and the Son. Just like Jesus said, I don't say anything except what the Father uh, saith uh, with me, through me. And so the Holy Spirit's the same way, speaking on behalf of the Father and the Son. That ye, uh, that shall, let's see, but whosoever uh, he shall hear. I've lost my place. Back up, verse 13, halfway through. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, things to come to them, to his immediate hearers of this message, were 
the cross and the resurrection. They didn't know, they, uh, they didn't understand the cross. They had no idea Jesus was going to raise from the dead. <coughs> and so he would teach him of those things to come. But then there were other things to come that are even in our day yet to come, like the second coming of Christ and all the end time events. He will teach those things uh, as well. And then it says, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore I said, He shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So, the Holy Spirit is leading us on a journey to get to know Christ better and better and better, to understand the Word better and better and better. And what a beautiful journey that is. Now, I don't want to spend much time here, but I do want to just show you one slide I put together where we can see the references to the Holy Spirit in this sermon not only apply to us personally, but they also had application to the forming of the New Testament. Notice, if you look at your screen for a moment, uh, the Gospels, I'm going to break the New Testament down into four major groups. The Gospels, the book of Acts, which is a historical book, the letters, the epistles, and then the Revelation. And so, uh, how this pertains to the Gospels Jesus said, He shall bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Gospels are inspired by the Holy Spirit because He's reminding them and, uh, that of all the things that Jesus said. So that the, the Gospels are not subject to the failure of human memory, but is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then you have the book of Acts, He shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness or testify and we're giving in the book of Acts we have the beginning of that going into all the world and how it uh, how it's spanned out and then in the epistles uh, here in chapter 16 Jesus said he will guide you into all truth and he shall not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and then if I put the whole verse up there he would have said he takes of mine and gives it uh, uh, to you or shows it to you. That's the epistles where we have uh, our uh, doctrinal uh, statements, our doctrinal teaching in the epistles. And then the last thing is the revelation, and he will show you yet things to come. Now look back at verse 16. Now we come to what almost seems like a change in subject, but I don't think so. I think you'll see how it ties together. He says to them, a little while, and ye shall see me, not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to my Father. So in a little while, you, won't, you will not see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to my Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while, we cannot tell what he saith. Like some of us, occasionally the 
disciples would pool their own ignorance and come up with nothing. Uh, it's a good thing to ask the Lord uh, to uh, explain and teach us. But it's a good thing to ask questions, but ask them of the Lord as well. And then uh, Jesus, knowing, of course, what they thought of. Look at verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and he said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said, A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. Then we come to where we started today, make full circle. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you shall weep and grieve, lament, that the world, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. That little time was, of course, uh, the cross and the three days in the grave. But then they saw him, and they, their sorrow was turned into joy, mega joy. Because joy comes from the presence of the Lord. Their hopes had been buried with him. Their dreams had been buried with him. But now he comes forth. Unlike somebody that's been in the hospital that you thought may have passed away or may not have passed away, but they get out. That's glorious and wonderful. But they knew he had passed away. They knew he was dead in the grave, buried along with their dreams and plans. And then he comes forth, and they see him with mega joy. And then Jesus gives us this little uh, illustration. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow. That is, when she's in childbearing. Because her hour is come, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, or hath has delivered the child. She remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born unto the world. Now, I remember many years ago, Karen and I, I don't know if I preached or mentioned that verse or something, but Karen and I were talking about that verse, and she said, you don't forget the pain, childbirth, you don't forget pain when, when, when the baby comes. Well, obviously, the Lord's not saying we would forget a woman would forget that pain. But when she's given birth, all she can think about, her mind, her soul is occupied with that pain, that trauma, what she's going through. But in just a few seconds, all she can think about is that baby, that little boy, little girl. And so the sorrow is turned into joy. And then verse 22, And you now therefore have sorrow... But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Your sorrow shall be turned into joy. No man taketh this joy from you. They can persecute you. They can even put you to death but they can't really take this joy away from you, the joy of walking with the risen Christ. But now, wait a minute. For them, walking with the risen Christ in his glorified body only lasted 40 days. And then he ascended. 
Ten days later, the Holy Spirit then comes on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Christ now into the heart of every single believer. And that's the real message of salvation in the cross. Christ redeeming us by his blood and coming into our hearts to be our Savior and Lord. So their sorrow was turned into joy. But that doesn't mean for us when we go through times of sorrow, that doesn't mean that we, that, uh, that sorrow should be done away with because sometimes we're going through things that are terribly sad. And it's right to be sad and, and sorrowful and grieving when we lose a loved one, for instance. R.A. Torrey tells the story of something that happened to he and his wife. Dr. Torrey was D.L. Moody's friend and colleague. He was the first president of of uh, Moody Bible Institute and later after Moody stepped down he became pastor of the Moody Church a great scholar and a great teacher of the word he said one of the hardest things he ever went through was when he and his wife lost their daughter Elizabeth who was 12 years old to diphtheria he said it was a miserable time and even the day of the funeral, it was raining and cold and miserable. And Mrs. Torrey said, I'm glad to know that Elizabeth is in heaven and not in that box. Some of you have lost children. I don't think there's anything more grieve-stricken than losing a child. And so they did. But then he tells... That just a few days later, he was walking down the street in Chicago. And the grief came over him like a wave. You know how it does that. And uh, he got so emotional, and he even cried out, Oh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. And then immediately he cried out, Oh, Lord Jesus. And he said when he did, he began to experience tremendous joy. Let me share with you a quote from as he tells about that experience. He says, It was the most joyful moment I had ever known in my life. Oh, how wonderful is the joy of the Lord. It is an unspeakable, glorious thing to have your joy not in things about you or around you, not even in your most dearly loved friends or family, but to have within you a fountain ever springing up, springing up, always springing up, springing up under all circumstances. End of quote. The sorrow doesn't always leave because the situation doesn't change. Now, in the case of the disciples... The situation changed. Jesus was no longer in the grave. <clears throat> but in our case, we don't necessarily lose the sorrow, but what we have is joy to go through the sorrow. Joy 
as we abide in the Lord, one of the fruit that is born in our lives is love, joy, and peace. Joy comes as we abide in Christ. And the Holy Spirit's the one who teaches us to abide. I've got to close with in, uh, in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 23, it says, The Holy Spirit teaches us to abide. And then verse 29 says, Abide in Him, so that you be not ashamed before Him at His coming. So all of these things are connected. It's the Holy Spirit that's teaching us to abide. He's teaching us all things. He teaches us to abide in Christ. And we're grateful for that tremendous ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to watch now a three-minute video. And as I say, it may, have, it may have looked something like this. But now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me where I'm going. And now that I've told you, your hearts are full of sadness. But I'm telling you the truth. It is better for you that I go away. Because if I do not go, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove to the people of the world that they're wrong about sin and about what is right and about God's judgment. They are wrong about sin because they do not believe in me. They are wrong about what is right because I am going to the Father and you will not see me anymore. And they are wrong about judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. I have much more to tell you, but now it would be too much for you to bear. When, however, the Spirit comes, who reveals the truth about God. He will lead you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but he will speak of what he hears and will tell you of things to come. He will give me glory because he will take what I say and tell it to you. All that my father has is mine. That is why I said that the spirit will take what I give him and tell it to you. In a little while, you will not see me anymore. And then a little while later, you will see me. Some of his disciples asked among themselves, what does this mean? He tells us that in a little while we will not see him, and then a little while later we will see him. And he also says, it is because I am going to the Father. What does this a little while mean? We don't know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to question him. I said, in a little while you will not see me, and then a little while later you will see me. Is this what you are asking about among yourselves? I am telling you the truth. You will cry and weep, but the world will be glad. You will be sad, but your sadness will turn into gladness. When a woman is about to give birth, she is sad because the hour of suffering has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets her suffering because she is happy that a baby has been born into the world. That is how it is with you. Now you are sad. But I will see you again, and your hearts will be filled with gladness, the kind of gladness that no one can take away from you.
Bow your heads with me, please. Maybe in these closing moments of the message, you would admit to yourself maybe that you've lost your joy. It's just not there as it once was or as it feel it should be. Maybe it's a sin that needs to be confessed. Or maybe it's just neglect of staying close to Jesus, connected, abiding in Him so He can pour out His joy in us. Whatever it is, tell the Lord about it. Even now, right where you are, ask Him for that joy. Father, thank you for this great passage of Scripture. Your love for us. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of your word to us. How thankful we are. May we leave this place now looking to you as the source of all joy and receiving that joy and experiencing it, we pray. Teach us, Holy Spirit, teach us to abide in Christ that we be not ashamed at His appearing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you so much. Pastor Jason's going to come now, and we're not going to sing, but uh, Pastor Jason's going to come now and share the announcements and prayer requests.